Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. Sir Graham Brady has confirmed that he has received 48 letters from Conservative MPs, so there will now be a vote of confidence in my leadership of the Conservative Party. I will contest that vote with everything I've got. It's Wednesday, December the 12th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. At time of recording, British Prime Minister Theresa May is facing a confidence vote in the Conservative Parliamentary Party this evening. And as you've heard, she has declared her determination to fight for her position with indications that she's currently quite well placed to win that vote. Joining me in studio today are Sinn Féin's finance spokesman, Piers Doherty, and our deputy political editor, Fia Kelly. But first, our London editor, Dennis Staunton, is on the line. Dennis, I'm looking at a tweet that just landed from the author Robert Harris, who's actually been on this podcast as well. Uh, he was on discussing uh, the, the Roman Curia, which is noted for the intensity of its politics and its backstabbing. And, and he says, I quote, The Parliamentary Conservative Party is probably the most devious electorate on earth. I wouldn't pay attention to any predictions or statement of loyalty. What do you think? I think that's very true. And one of the things that's been amusing this morning is to see various cabinet ministers uh, going out and tweeting their support for the prime minister hours after they were discussing their own leadership ambitions uh, privately with other people and in some cases apparently promising people jobs. So so I think that uh, that's absolutely right that what people say in public and what they do in a secret ballot is, uh, you know, it's not always, um, they don't always coincide. Now, this this vote is still uh, a few hours away. Um, what's the general sense at the moment? Is it that it seems to me that Theresa May is perceived as having hit the ground running and sort of taken taken a sort of a commanding position? Yes, I think there's two things. One is that she made a very confident and defiant statement on the steps of Downing Street this morning, saying that she was going to fight with everything that she's got. And she also warned that uh, the danger of having a leadership election now is simply that it will take too long and that you won't have a new Conservative leader until the end of January, by which time you might not have time to get uh, a Brexit deal through Parliament. You might have to postpone Brexit. And she was warning Brexiteers that if you postpone it, you might lose it altogether. The European Research Group of uh, Brexiteers have also been complaining this morning that the process has been so accelerated that the vote is happening so quickly. They thought that they'd have a couple of days to prepare and start twisting arms and persuading people, instead of which they feel the fact that it's happening this evening, she's going to address the 1922 committee of backbench Tory MPs at five o'clock. And then there's a vote, the ballot is between six o'clock and eight o'clock this evening. And they just think that that gives her a further advantage. And that's why you've seen some of them suggesting this morning that even if she wins, she'd have to win by a very wide margin to actually really have the authority to carry on. And that's absolutely contrary to the argument being made by Theresa May's supporters this morning, which is that she only has to win by one and that's it. It's all over for 12 months. Yes, there is a story that uh, that after the thaw between uh, uh, Theresa May and David Cameron some time ago, that uh, David Cameron went in to visit her in Downing Street and uh, she asked him uh, in uh, in the confidence vote, how much do you have to win it by 
to carry on. And he said, with a kind of a bit of a, a chuckle, I suppose really one. And she said, that's exactly what I think. And I think it is exactly what she thinks. And uh, But I also think, you know, the, people are sort of throwing around historical precedents. They point out, for example, the Brexiteers point out that Margaret Thatcher in 1990 won 204 votes to Michael Heseltine's 152. But she felt nonetheless that uh, you know, she had to go. She didn't feel it, but she was told she had to go by her uh, by her cabinet. Uh, but having said that, you know, five years later, John Major had his back me or sack me contest. A third of the parliamentary party voted against him and he carried on. So I think, you know, obviously, if she if Theresa May won by 159 votes to 157, there might be some questions. But I think uh, if there is uh, any kind of a margin at all, because of the fact that Brexit is uh, is such an unusual moment in British political history, that I think that her basic argument for carrying on is not so much that she uh, is the greatest leader ever, but just that she is the leader. She is the prime minister right now. And we don't have time to change things while uh, all this stuff is going on. And the European Research Group associated other Brexiteers haven't exactly covered themselves with glory or revealed themselves to be master tacticians over the last few weeks. They got a false alarm in terms of getting over the required 48 votes a couple of weeks ago. So the sense might be that they haven't actually, they haven't done the, the groundwork and they're, they're not going to achieve their objective. Well, I was talking to a, a Conservative MP last night who's a member of the ERG, but he hadn't put a letter in. He said that uh, five people uh, yesterday had taken him into dark corners in uh, the House of Commons and said, it's really time you, you wrote your letter. And uh, and he uh, doesn't want the Prime Minister to be replaced because he fears that uh, that Brexit will be lost. He thinks that, uh, you know, that if there is any delay, that uh, you really could find that Parliament takes over and somehow manages to stop Brexit from happening. And so the ERG is not a united, it's not a homogenous group. On the other hand, you have got other uh, Tory MPs who wouldn't necessarily have wanted a leadership contest, but they may vote against Theresa May because of the fact that under the Conservative rules, if she wins tonight, she's immune from a challenge for a further 12 months. And a lot of people in the Conservative Party would like her to stay on until just after Brexit at the end of March, but then they'd like her to go. And what unites Conservatives from all sides is their determination not to go into another election under Theresa May after last year's debacle of a general election. So I think that there may be uh, some people who would think uh, when it were done, it were well, it were done quickly, and that if you're going to, uh, you know, if, if they vote, this is their only chance really to get rid of her. And that, and given all the things we've just been saying, she's not the resigning type. And, uh, you know, as somebody else put it to me, she's going to have to be dynamited out of Downing Street. She's not going to go willingly. And so that is, you know, so I think that that's where it's so difficult to predict what will happen, because on the one hand, not all the Brexiteers may vote together. And at the same time, lots of Remainers may just think, actually, uh, it's time to go for her to go, given that, we, that we're given this opportunity. Fiak, it's never an ideal thing to say in a podcast, but we have to say it nonetheless on this occasion. Nobody really knows exactly what's going to happen in the next few hours, do they? No, and anybody who does is, you know, spoofing, to be quite frank. You know, the situation has been so volatile over the last number of weeks. As Dennis has been outlining, you know, you would think that Theresa May would be in a comfortable position to win that vote tonight. But, you know, it did strike me what Dennis says, looking at Twitter this morning, seeing people like Michael Gove and others out uh, pledging their fulsome support, their 100% support to the party leader. You wonder what they would do in a secret ballot. But I think if we were to predict that she would win tonight, um, you know, you know, from a 
Dublin perspective, does that put a different gloss on things? If she wins tonight, does she then have a win behind her back? Does she go to the European Council and say, I am now in place for 12 months, you can be confident that dealing with me, you're dealing with the British government for the foreseeable future. Please give me some sort of wording that will help me get this deal over the line. And then on the back of that, puts the withdrawal agreement to the House of Commons in relatively short order and tries to capitalise on this victory and gets that through. That's the, the Those are the questions being asked around Dublin this morning if she is to win tonight. So perhaps, although there is extreme volatility in London at the moment, it may work to Dublin's advantage if they want to see this withdrawal agreement through. Piers Sinn Féin have been talking to Theresa May this week as well. Yeah, we had um, a telephone conversation last night with Theresa May, um, our party leader Mary Lou Macdonald and, and myself. Um, we spoke for about 20 minutes and we reiterated to her that there can be no renegotiation of the backstop agreement, that that is there to protect the interests of the island of Ireland. It's there to protect the Good Friday Agreement, while there are areas that still um, haven't been dealt with in terms of citizens' rights and representation. It is the best uh, show in town and the only show in town in relation to limiting uh, and trying to isolate the damage of Brexit on, on, on these shores. Do you, do you think that, it struck me that in the speeches that she's made over the last few days, uh, including the one uh, earlier this week when she announced the, the, the postponement of the vote, she has been more forceful in making that point herself than she had been heretofore. Yeah, and look, she, she, she's made the point that she isn't, uh, she's made this publicly, that she isn't looking for renegotiation of the backstop, that she's looking for assurances from, from the European Union uh, and, and so on and from other leaders and that's what her engagements were uh, last night and what her engagement was is supposed to be today here with the with the Tisha, um, which has now been postponed. Um, but the backstop is is very clear. The withdrawal agreement is very clear in relation to that the backstop is there uh, until and um, uh, unless there is another agreement there. So I, I'm not convinced that the assurances that she's looking for will actually uh, assure the people who are opposed to the agreement, which there's obviously you know uh, not a small number, but actually a, a very large majority at this point in time that are that are opposed to the agreement. I, I think she's in a very difficult place. I think she's called a lot of this wrong during this 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 period, but she has come out fighting, and you know we need to recognise that even though she's got her own party against her, she's got the Labour Party against her, the SNP and so on, um, you know, many factors against her. She has showed a bit of steel, a bit of metal in terms of trying to, 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 to pursue this through. I'm not convinced that she'll be able to do it at the end of the day. Dennis, to what extent, if this pans out, as most observers seem to be thinking it's going to at this point, uh, this evening, is Fiac right that, that, that Theresa May might be fortified by this experience? Oh, he's absolutely right. The, that uh, I think, I think this will uh, enormously strengthen uh, the, the chances of her deal getting through. Just because, uh, first of all, she's not going to have the threat of uh, of another leadership challenge, and she'll be, uh, you know, and I think also just as time goes on, if she goes back to Brussels and then in January at some stage gets some kind of concession on language, I think that uh, you know what concentrates Brexit here minds, and and in a way the the strongest argument for her deal is that it's the one thing, uh, the one move that MPs can make where they can be certain of the outcome. If uh, Mrs May's deal passes, Britain will leave on the 29th, but there will be the transition and it will be on orderly terms. Anything else creates uncertainty and the possibility of either a no-deal Brexit or no Brexit at all. The other thing which it does is that it puts her in a position where she can unlock potentially a majority 
which moves, which goes beyond the Conservative Party. And that, again, is something that's much more difficult right now with the threat of, um, you know, of a leadership challenge over her head. So I do think that it does increase the chances of the deal getting through. Having said that, there is no majority in Parliament for it. The DUP are adamantly against it. And there's no sign that the European Union wants to make any substantive changes mm. to the terms of the backstop. And just to be clear, when you say a deal that goes beyond the Conservative Party, do you mean with support from some Labour members? Yes, I, I mean that there are some Labour uh, MPs. There are some Labour MPs who represent Leave voting seats. I mean, most Labour MPs actually represent Leave voting seats. But there are some who would like to get this over and done with. They, uh, you know, there are others who just think you know Brexit is sucking the air out of all politics now, and that you can't deal with any other issues in the country. And they would like to get this behind them. And so I think that uh, that again, as the deadline of March 29th uh, approaches, I think that uh, it will perhaps become uh, easier for MPs to vote for the deal. One of the reasons why uh, she had to call off the deal was because it seemed so clear that the vote was going down and also that there was going to be a chance perhaps to have a second go at the vote, that MPs didn't really have an incentive to vote for it. It's quite clear that if this deal comes back in January, uh, then uh, this is their last chance to vote for it. Either they vote for that or it goes down. And if it goes down, then it's a no-deal Brexit or something else which could be a second referendum and that could be the end of Brexit. Or indeed also, a subject which has been raised a lot in the last 12 hours by Theresa May herself and her supporters, uh, an extension of Article 50. Yes, uh, you know, that has complications because of the timetable of the European uh, Parliament elections and also the Europeans uh, don't want to extend Article 50 unless there's, it's being extended for some specific reason. It's not just to give more time to, for negotiations. But certainly that's another thing which is, uh, which is a possibility. And also, as we know from the European Court of Justice ruling this week, revoking Article 50 altogether is another possibility. Pierce, nobody's ready and the vast majority of people do not want a no-deal Brexit um, on both sides of the border and both in the UK and in Ireland. Um, But has the government been remiss? Should it be planning more for that eventuality, given that it is a potential eventuality? Yes, um, and what surprised me yesterday uh, in the Dáil Chamber was when questions were put by Mary Lou and by Michael Martin in relation to the preparedness on a no-deal Brexit. uh, What we hear from the government is the uh, recruitment of veterinary officials and customs officials. And I haven't heard anything more beyond that, that, you know, that it's fast-tracking officials that were going to be employed anyway. Um, but a no-deal Brexit is is multifaceted. A no-deal Brexit uh, has the potential of a hard border. A no-deal Brexit has uh, issues in terms of trade barrier. And I have no uh, indication from government as to where they are in relation to that. The only other... Uh, suggestion that they offered up was discussions that they had with the European Union in terms of state aid. We have said very clearly, and we've said it to uh, Theresa May on numerous occasions, including last night, uh, that while we want to see the backstop uh, agreed um, by the European Union and by the the British Parliament, as we have passed it in in the House of the Rockthus, that in the context of a crash out of the European Union, in the context of a no-deal Brexit, then Theresa May needs to put the constitutional question uh, to the people of the North and allow them to have their say whether Irish unity uh, is their option that they, they desire. And we What's see Theresa May's response to that? Well, look, Theresa May is a, is a unionist, uh, so you know her, her response is obvious. Um, but we have engaged um, with, with senior 
British uh, ministers in the past, including the Secretary of State, who under the Good Friday Agreement has the power to call uh, a unity referendum. Uh, and in the past, for example, we would have asked him, um, and I specifically asked him, what are the criteria uh, for for uh, actioning such a referendum? And he would have referred back to uh, opinion polls uh, suggest that there is no desire for Irish unity. Actually, now when you look at the opinion polls, including the one that came out this week from Lucid Talk, it shows that the majority of people in the context of a no-deal Brexit uh, want Irish unity. Actually, even outside of a no-deal Brexit, we now have a situation where uh, it is completely tied in terms of staying within the Union and uh, Irish unity. We have another poll that came out recently in the Belfast Telegraph, shows that 60% believe Irish unity is more likely, uh, so that this is an issue that needs to be put to the Irish people in the context of a no-deal Brexit, notwithstanding that our first and primary issue in dealing with the issue of Brexit is, is the backstop. But there is, let me just say this point here, the problem here, and this is the problem with the Irish government, is that they don't really have a feel for what's going on in the North. They don't understand the pulse of what's happening in nationalist communities. They don't understand how things are changing. They don't understand how we're in the trajectory to Irish unity, regardless of Brexit. And we could be very very similar to the situation that's happening across the way, where you have a referendum where the people of the North vote for Irish unity, yet there is no preparation being done. There is no discussions in relation to transition period. There's no discussions done in relation to the infrastructure that needs to take place. And that's why we've called on the Irish government to start the discussions and preparation for the eventuality or the likelihood of uh, of that referendum. Yes, on an associated topic, can I ask you if you're disappointed in the attitude taken by Jeremy Corbyn in the last two weeks? You in Sinn Féin would have historically seen Corbyn as an ally. He's had Sinn Féin figures over to Westminster on numerous occasions. John Macdonald has praised the actions of the IRA, um, although he hasn't been explicit in Corbyn in recent weeks in wooing the DUP. We've seen Corbyn say that the DUP have perfectly valid concerns about the, the withdrawal agreement, including the backstop, very much making this overture to unionist concerns, pretty much kind of abandoning what he said before about Irish unity and republicanism. Is he a fickle friend and you disappointed in what he said? Well, look, I think, you know, um, I think it's just actually just a couple of weeks ago, Jeremy Corbyn was talking about how, how he believes in Irish unity. Well, last week he um, was about the sanctity no, of the no, union. I, I, I understand that, but I think, but the point I'm making is you have to always remember that Jeremy Corbyn or any other British MP have their interests and the British interests at heart. That's the the core thing. And what's happening at this point in time with Jeremy Corbyn in relation to his stance on on Brexit is to suit his interests and the interests of his party. And that's not a shock to Sinn Féin. That's a reality. We always know that that, that's the case. We've always said that, you know, Irish destiny will not be decided in the the halls of Westminster. It will be in our own hands. Um, So he's doing what he's doing. And you can see how Brexit is playing out, that he's very focused on toppling this government. In, in my view, he's very focused on the Labour Party trying to be uh, to, to, trying to ascend to uh, power, and him, him as Prime Minister, and he's doing what he thinks is right, which I think is is wrong in relation to the issue of. You feel of let the down by him. No, you would only be let down if you had a belief that uh, Jeremy Corbyn or any British MP won't act in the interests of uh, the, the British people. He is a British MP. He's the leader of the British uh, Party, and you know, uh, for Irish Republicans to in any way put their faith in, uh, in in the British parliamentary system to resolve our difficulties would be very, very naive. And that's where many commentators and some of our political opponents suggest that it should be. But it's, uh, and, and that probably just shows that that is the case. They will always act in their own interest. Dennis, you've been listening very patiently there. I'm going to let you go in a minute. But can I just ask you about Jeremy Corbyn and about Labour? And 
are they? Is he playing it pretty well right now from from Labour's self interested perspective? I think uh, until now he has played it uh, quite cleverly in the sense that Labour has been one step uh, behind public opinion and one step ahead of the Conservative Party, and that's quite a comfortable place to be, uh, and you know, or has been quite a comfortable place to be. You're getting towards a point now where Labour is going to have to choose if it's going to go for back a second referendum or not, and the Labour Party conference uh, earlier this year it adopted a, a motion which is quite complicated. But basically what it said was that if it rejects Theresa May's deal, then it will try to have a, a general election. If it can't have a general election, then uh, other options are on the table, including a second referendum. Jeremy Corbyn has been resisting calls to uh, to table a confidence motion against the government. And the suspicion is that he's doing that because he wants to postpone the moment where he has to say, uh, we have failed to trigger a general election, and now we must go with the second referendum. So he's postponing this as long as possible. So far, I think it has worked reasonably well electorally for Labour, but we may be getting towards the point where they're going to have to jump and uh, and if there is a second referendum, then Labour will almost certainly campaign to remain in the European Union. And that is a problem for a party uh, when one third of its voters voted to leave the European Union. Dennis, thanks very much for joining us today. Now, before we take a short break, a little bit of housekeeping. Well, with Christmas approaching, we wanted to try something a little bit out of the ordinary for the Politics Podcast. We hope to record an Ask Me Anything type podcast, which we'll be putting up during the holiday period. The idea is you can ask the politics team and, and me also any question at all, and we will make our best attempt to answer it honestly and comprehensively. You can direct your question uh, towards the podcast team as a whole, or indeed to a specific individual and it's going to fall to me to compile the questions so you can mail them to me at hlinehan at irishtimes.com that's hlinehan at irishtimes.com or you can at me on Twitter at hlinehan. We will look favourably on questions which are in spoken audio form so feel free to record your question and mail it to me as an attachment. There's things in life you just can't control like the weather, the traffic... Or the fact that spilled coffee seems to love white shirts. But it's all good. Because there's something you'll always be able to control. Your company's finances. SAP Concur integrates all your business's expenses, travel and invoicing in one simple solution. Giving you the visibility and control you need to drive your business forward. SAP Concur. It's how the best run businesses make their expenses run better. Learn more at concur.co.uk slash control. And you're very welcome back. Pierce and Fiak are still with us. Now, Fiak, you have a story on the front of the Irish Times. Headline is Varadkar and Martin discuss New Deal. And essentially what you're saying is that the confidence and supply agreement between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael is going to continue for another year. Not quite signed, sealed and delivered, but getting there. Well, all the indications for some time have been that he is willing to do so, uh, that he's been managing his party into a position where he can present this to them he, Fianna Fáil have allowed this prospect of a year's extension or more to conference supply linger out there in the ether without shooting it down since the summer effectively. Um, some people kind of believe that that was not his intention but I think he's always had this idea in his mind pretty much I'd say since after the referendum on uh, repealing the Eighth Amendment that Martin decided that he was going to play long and give Faradkar another year. What we've seen now is the management of that process so I think that Martin can frame this in the context of Brexit and say, look... At For the, the good of the country. The good of the country, the chaos that's happening in London. I will do the statesman-like thing and, you know, underpin the government for some time to come. He didn't specifically say it at the parliamentary party meeting last night, but 
nobody who left that room was in any doubt as, a, as to what that is what he intends. He spoke about this will be an uncomfortable time for the party. He's referring there, people believe, to the membership who detest this arrangement. He spoke about he had a firm idea of what was in the good, in, the best interest of the party and of the country. He said that Brexit was now the number one issue of public concern coming up on the doorsteps. He said, like, well, there are issues around health, housing and broadband. Brexit is now the one thing that worries people. And even if you listen to the tenor of his contribution in leaders' questions yesterday, he spoke about the country facing a period of significant uncertainty and the, the contrast to that is if we need to provide certainty. So all the indications are he's moving towards a position that will see him probably extend this for another budget. And he did say on RTE a number of weeks ago that you will know where I stand by Christmas. And I, that is still the position. So I don't think we will see the doll rise for the recess next week without some class an arrangement between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael nailed down. They are due to meet again in the coming days for Adker and Martin. I think the only question now is whether it's an arrangement reached at leadership level or if they kick it back to the negotiating teams to say, you know, you can negotiate a, an arrangement or an addendum or an extension or whatever it's going to be. Given the uncertainty, Pierce, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, to bring a little bit of predictability into affairs over the next 12 months? Well, look, if, if there's a renewal of the confidence of supplies, it will be predictable. It, it will be predictable that the housing crisis will continue to, to, to escalate. It will be predictable that the health crisis that we have with so many people on, on waiting lists, close to a million people and, and hundreds on trolleys now each day, which has nearly been normalised by this government, uh, will continue. Uh, and yes, there is uncertainty around, around Brexit, but you know the reality is that Neil Martin's using this as a cover to avoid uh, an election from his point of view because for him the, the stakes are very high. Uh, it's unlikely he will continue to be leader of the party if he does not find a pathway into 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 government in the, in the next general election. While Brexit is the, the, the one of the main issues and, and can absolutely devastate our economy and cause huge problems for many, many sectors and individuals, where I disagree with Michael Martin is it's not the issue that uh, are keeping people up late at night. You know, people on the streets are looking at Brexit. They're looking at the chaos in terms of what's happening in, 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 in the parliament. It's it's quite reminiscent to what happened uh, when I got elected to the Dáil first and after the by-election where you had the IMF landing in here where you had, you know, well, we have an election, won't we have an election? You had a reshuffling cabinet. The Greens wouldn't take their seats. We had ministers with four and five portfolios. And it was that type of chaos period that you're now seeing it in, in Britain. But where people are talking to you and stopping you on the street is about they can't get treatment for themselves or their loved ones. Uh, they can't get, they can't afford rental accommodation. The young people can't afford uh, or, or can't aspire to have a house, particularly in some of our more urban areas. Uh, many people who are working full time still don't have enough money at the end of the end of the week to put uh, food on the table. And they're the real burning issues. Uh, that and are yet Fine Gael are still doing pretty well in the opinion polls. They are. Um, and, you know, th- 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 that can't be taken away from them. There, there's no doubt about that. And w- one of the things that the confidence and supply done is it tried to carve up both government and opposition for two parties which are reality and, and you know uh, have, have have shaped the policy uh, into the future like if you look at the former confidence and supply um, agreement you know for example on health it, it says that you know realistic budgets for the health service um, over the next three years which would be independently assessed Sure, we know that that didn't happen. Fianna Fáil signed off on every single one of those budgets. Yet in the last uh, budget last year, there had to be an, a, an additional allocation of 700 million euro. The previous year, it was the same. And what we see, even with that, is at this point in time, we have people 
in hospitals, including my own in Letterkenny University Hospital, which are medically discharged but can't be discharged because the home health packages aren't there. The staff are there for them, but there is a complete monitorium now in home care packages across the state uh, unless it is for palliative care. So we have now people taking up beds because of the the HSE has simply run out of money and it's not been provided for. So like th- this, this very much is about keeping the status quo going and the key issues here are, are in my view, will not change unless there is a change of, of government, unless there is a change of mood. And that's up to Sinn Féin to put forward in a, in a very robust way and in an easy way that is understood to the Irish people what are the alternatives because they are alternatives to the idea of that we have this type of mass homelessness, that we have people that are worried at the end of the week, even though that they're working every hour that God sends them, that they're still worried if the car breaks down or the washing machine breaks down or if they get sick, how are they going to afford for those things? I'm, I'm, I'm listening to Pierce there and it strikes me listening to him that Probably no more than Fianna Fáil. It might suit Sinn Féin. They want to address these issues and they are all very, very serious issues, as he says, to perhaps have a period of stability after a rather disappointing presidential campaign to, to kind of get a second wave before going to... A yeah, Jerry Adams was just on the radio in the, in the last hour or two saying that the party failed to connect with its voters during the presidential election campaign that need to reassess. There is a review, I think, ongoing, if it's not complete within the party, about what happened during that campaign. It has been a difficult few weeks for Mary Lou MacDonald's leadership. They have dropped back in the poll. The most recent Red Sea, I think, had Sinn Féin around 13%, Fianna Fáil late 20s, Fine Gael early 30s. So there's now a gap between the two ma- main parties and Sinn Féin have kind of pulled back to a certain extent. So perhaps it would be in the interests of all parties, although for myself, Pierce probably won't say it, to kind of rebuild, you know, uh, sharpen your policy focus, leave the presidential election behind. And more focus on the domestic issues more which, focus which on Pierce is talking issues, yeah. about there. More focus on domestic issues. And the curious thing, I just wonder if we are to see an extension of this confidence supply deal, it'll be like, you can't extend it for more than a year and then you. I don't think it's credible to put off an election any longer than that. So will it be a looser arrangement whereby Fianna Fáil are starting to diverge? Pierce is right. The broad policy trust of this government has been agreed between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Budgets have been signed off. The policies, you know, are agreeable to both parties, but are we going to see a kind of bit of a divergence over the next year or so? Fianna Fáil, I would imagine, would like to see a looser arrangement, which means they can start to attack Fine Gael ahead of a general election. And I think in that space, Sinn Féin will try and rebuild and get their voice heard again on policy issues because that has kind of fallen away in recent times. Do you agree that that's fallen away, Pierce? It hasn't been a good three months for, for Sinn Féin. We had a, we had a bad uh, presidential election. Uh, there, there's no doubt about that. But um, I, I, I take comfort from the fact that even the exit poll in the uh, general election showed that our support was still intact. And if he is right in ta- terms of talking to the Red Sea poll, I think in the same week we had another poll come out that put us at 22%, you know, and you can see in your Irish Times polls as well that we're higher. So there, there is an issue in terms of why a number of polls are having Sinn Féin up at the 21, 22, 23%, and then Red Sea are 15, 16, and, and, and I think you drop one of them went, went to the mid-teens in election. Well, you know, and that all depends mm. about the campaign, and the campaign matters, and, and, and um, you know, and but the polls actually mark that, you know, the polls, the polls uh, acknowledge that during the during the period. So, uh, look, we did have a bad um, um, presidential election, but presidential elections are, are very different anyway. You know, we, you know, Michael D. Higgins as a, as a Labour Party member won the won the uh, the presidential election two terms ago and Labour Party were decimated within a couple of uh, months afterwards. 
Fine Gael uh, candidate in the previous uh, presidential election polled six percent. Mm. Yeah, Fine Gael had the best election that they've had in a decade. So and, and went into mm. government and secured a second term and so on and so forth. So there isn't that type of correlation between the party. What is what 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 we need to do and what look what Fianna Fáil are, are are trying to do is occupy that space of, of opposition. So you'll have Michael Martin stand up and 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 give out about the housing crisis or give out about the health crisis. But yet he is the person who has put his fingerprints and put his signature over the policy and. I think more and more Fianna Fáil uh, members are recognising that that is the case um, and you know this isn't, it's confidence and supply but the reality is these two parties should go into government together if they believe that that's the policy that they should bring forward in the future but they're doing that, that because they want to occupy the space of opposition and government at the same time. Pearson, in the presidential election did you kind of get stuck between trying to broaden the appeal of the party and maintaining the support of the people you already have so in terms of branching out, you know, Leonie Reed's gesture about the poppy, did that go down badly with your grassroots and your core vote, depressed turnout from them because you were trying to appeal to a larger audience and then you failed to capture that audience as well. So are you kind of stuck in the middle now and is the choice to be made about whether you regress back or retreat back to that core vote and stop trying to reach out to people who may not be inclined to vote for you just yet? No, well, that isn't the, isn't the case. I wouldn't uh, agree with that analysis at all. And as I said, um, the exit poll, which obviously called the, the the outcome of the presidential correct, showed that Sinn Féin has a very healthy support in, in, in terms of if there was a, a general election. Uh, and that's to be welcome. And we hopefully will build from that. And I'm, I'm confident that we will build from that. Uh, the, the the issue is that in terms of our own support base, people who are voting for Sinn Féin, we didn't connect with them in the way that we wanted to connect with them. And 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 let's not forget this. And you know we have to acknowledge this. Michael D was an excellent candidate, uh, and, and and people liked him, people warmed him, and particularly Republicans. Um, it was a mistake to run against him then, because Michael no, D is uh, of the left. He is kind of he is a green can, can like he is green in his view of the yeah, world. If you yeah. listen to any speeches he makes, he appeals to young voters who you would hope to gain support from. Yeah. So why did you stand against them? Because I, I think that uh, a pre- my own view is that the presidential election should be contested. Um, the, the election is for seven years. Political parties contest elections. Uh, sometimes we have good elections and sometimes we have bad elections. It's the first um, probably disappointing election that we've had in over a decade in the, in the, in the South. Um, that said, I, I believe Lee Inurita was an a, a excellent candidate. Um, we always knew that there was a risk there. We always knew that there was no correlation between core support and uh, and election. We did introduce new topics into the debate in relation to that conversation that needs to happen in terms of Irish unity and I think that was worthwhile. But there were lessons in, in, uh, uh, learned by Sinn Féin in, in relation to that election. And I think that that can only make us stronger um, by actually recognising those lesson, lessons, listening to the membership and, and where they believe that lessons were, were to be learned as well and learning those lessons and making sure that we're in a, in a, in a, in a more robust place. And, uh, and coming at it from a, from a different angle, to what extent is Sinn Féin concerned by Patrick Tobin's um, activities over the last few weeks, setting up a new movement as yet unnamed, uh, by all reports, some quite large meetings, uh, quite a lot of enthusiasm, a couple of defections, one like uh, a, a councillor from Fiat of Fall last week. Um, I mean, you represent a you know a rural Sinn Féin constituency where there was a um, there was a pretty substantial um, no no vote on, in national terms in, in in the referendum on the Eighth Amendment. 
Do you see on the ground, do you see any groundswell of support for the kind of thing that Peter Tobin's talking about, a more socially conservative Republican movement? Well, well, well first of all, let me say that there's a place in, in Sinn Féin for, for, for everybody, uh, regardless of, of, of their views on issues and on, on the Eighth Amendment. And there's many uh, members of Sinn Féin who have different views uh, on this issue than what is our party policy. Um, the key thing here, and we're different from other political parties, is that the membership of Sinn Féin decide our policy, uh, whereas all other parties have Ardeshna, but they're not bound by the decisions of the Ardeshna. So our membership, 12,000 members, uh, discuss at common level, mandate their delegates and vote in the Ardeshna, and that binds us to that, that policy. And on a number of occasions, on, on three consecutive occasions, the issue was debated in terms of conscient votes and all the rest, and rejected by the membership. So Pather's talking about this kind of people-centred movement. Indeed, what he, the reason he left Sinn Féin is because the people-centred movement, which was the membership, wouldn't allow somebody in, in a leadership position to actually decide their own, their, their, their own views. Uh, that being said, look, there is an audience there for, uh, you know, for, for those who are, are, are dear, deeply pro-life uh, and Pather is tr- trying to tap into that. Whether he'll be successful in, 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 in setting up a new movement, I would really, really question that. And, Has there know, been any activity in Donegal in your own constituency? No, but look, I'm sure, there, I'm sure there will. Like, you know, the idea that in, 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 a, in a county of 160,000 people that you couldn't get together, you know, because there is an active uh, pro-life movement in, in many areas and, and that, that, will, that will appear and that will manifest itself. Um, it is very much a single issue uh, party. Um, that's, that's the reality, no matter, no matter how you want to dress this up or, or, or shape this and but let me say this I, I'm very disappointed that Pather left the party I really am I was very close to Pather I was a, a personal colleague of his I've asked I asked him on numerous times I've sat with him I, before he re- resigned I asked him to come and see me um, I'm really disappointed that he, he that he resigned um, for, for the party for us as a party who are going to be the generation who are going to deliver Irish unity um, I, I say that without a doubt um, and, and it's disappointing because I wanted Pather to be part of that uh, team uh, to to help us achieve that, but he's made his own decision, and I think it's 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 regrettable. I know that there's a lot of people hurt, particularly a lot of Republicans in his own area, including people who are no longer with us, who who toiled for a long, long time in that constituency to build uh, the Republican vote up from very, very low numbers in difficult times, um, and 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 they feel hurt in relation to what Pather's done. But he's done what he's done, and and and, and so be it. Our party, we've seen this before. We've seen people leave. We've seen people try and set up with different political parties. Uh, our, our, our struggle, our movement is, is far bigger than, than any one individual. Um, you're starting from a, a slight handicap the next election then and you're down two seats from Sinn Féin perspective with Pader and Carol Nolan. You, does that temper your expectations somewhat for any gains you, make, you may make in the next general election? Like you're unlikely to breach the 30 seat mark now. Is it more a matter of what we have we hold for Sinn Féin at the next election? Obviously you want to gain a seat in Donegal where Barely be left one behind the last time, but where else are you going to pick up seats? Well, look. Well, you talk about the thirty uh, seat mark. I'm not sure if that's the Dáil and the Shannon. Look, we we did hit a neck. We, we, oh well, we haven't been mentioning thirty seats in, uh, or anything like that. But what what what. We do acknowledge as we had an excellent uh, general election the last time uh, we took a new uh, new TDs and has, has built our team. Likely the last local elections was very, very successful, as was the European elections where we took a seat in every constituency. So we're coming from a high level mark in terms of Sinn Féin support and, and we need to consolidate that in the first and we need to build um, where, where it's possible. Uh, the, 
going into the election two down isn't where you want to be. In in relation to Karen Nolan's seat, that would have been a, a very difficult challenge anyway because there's boundary changes and it would be very challenging to hold two seats in that new constituency. Um, in relation to, to, to me, we are about to select our candidate before Christmas uh, and the party will put everything behind that candidate to make sure that the Republican vote uh, has uh, a home and a, and, a, and a Sinn Féin candidate. And there are a number of areas where we can make gains. Uh, there's a number of areas where we need to be just making sure that we consolidate that seat, that, you know, we, that we, we, we marginally took the seat in the, in the last area. So, uh, you know, we have no huge big ambitions. I'm not giving you numbers or, or anything it's like that. Consolidation rather than, you know, well, there, there is gain. potentials to make gains as well, you know, and that's, and that's, and, and, the, and the campaign matters. Like the campaign matters, as we've seen in the last campaign, as members of Fianna Fáil will tell you, you know, their expectations were surpassed because the campaign mattered for them. It brought in a surge of additional votes for them, uh, which brought in seats that weren't on the card. So, like, the campaign for us is going to matter. I believe that Mary Lou MacDonald uh, leading the party into the next general election will be a, a, a big bonus for the party. I think she's formidable. I think she uh, will easily take on uh, Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar in, the, in those key debates. And I think that during that campaign that we can uh, reverse what's been happening in the past in elections where you tend to see uh, a slippage of Sinn Féin support to actually uh, where we can actually gain momentum. And can I ask you finally in relation to that in your capacity as, as finance books but you'll be going more so than in, in any previous election you'll be going into the next general election proposing yourselves as a party of government uh, almost certainly uh, in coalition that's 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 what your, your, your stated aim is uh, and in order to achieve the to address the many problems which you which you talked about earlier and everything from uh, from hospitals to resources to people at the pin of their collar getting to work and not having enough money and all those things. How will you be putting forward Sinn Féin's programme in relation to something like the statement by the Fiscal Advisory Council last week uh, in relation to Pascal Donoghue's budget? In other words, that there is there is strong advice on the table now that, that, that the state needs to be extremely cautious and careful about its expenditure. I agree with the fiscal ad- I agree with the Fiscal Advisory Council and before we put forward our alternative budget we actually have extensive engagements with the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council. We don't have to do it but we get advice from them, technical advice from them in relation to uh, how we will, what we can do in terms of expenditure uh, and net tax uh, increases that will make sure that we reach the parameters set out, set out within the fiscal rules. I personally disagree with the fiscal rules I think they're far too restrictive, as does the party. Uh, but however, they are here and we work within those parameters. The issue in terms of uh, what the Fiscal Advisory Council really called out the government as being not prudent and repeating the mistakes of the past is they've decided, which is just bonkers, they've decided to fund health on corporation tax receipts, on Bonanza corporation tax receipts. Like, that's just batshit crazy. Like, that is just nonsense. Like, that's... that's like And see, the thing is, they get away with this because, like... People really don't care. You know, most people don't care about those issues because they're caring about other issues. They're they're busy in their own lives. They're they're the challenges that people have are the fact that they can't get a, di- a, a, a dyslexia a diagnosis for their their child, so their child isn't progressing in school, or that a child has ASD or Asperger's and 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 they're not getting that support, or the fact that they're an overcrowded. Cl- you know, they're the issues that they're. So when the fiscal advisory come out, it's kind of high level stuff, and there's a responsibility in us, and there's a responsibility in the media who. Are, is our job to make sure that these issues are are, are are dealt with, that we actually make sure that it's happening. But the government know that they can get away with it. So like this this report from the Fiscal Advisory Council was 
scathing in its criticism. It like it you know it tells us that we are repeating the mistakes of the past. What it's saying is. And what it's actually saying is that we actually need to increase expenditure over the next number of years. They're saying that the government's expenditure predictions over the next three years are not realistic, are not credible, uh, won't happen. They, they acknowledge they won't happen. There'll be increased expenditure. And what they're saying is that to, to make the necessary type of expenditure, what you need to do is increase certain level of taxes. Now, wearing a different hat the chairperson of the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council has argued that one of those tax revenue streams is actually uh, taxing uh, intangible assets that were brought on shore here. Uh, there was a loophole opened up by Minister Noonan. It subsequently co- closed, but for the billions of euro that were brought on shore during those two years, they still go untaxed. He's saying you need to tax them. He was the expert that was commissioned to do the report. It brings in 750 million euro per annum. The government don't want to do it. Uh, you know, so there are other revenue streams that allow you to then increase expenditure on childcare, which would cut the cost to parents and also help uh, in terms of the issue of, uh, of coming in certain areas to, uh, to, 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 to full employment. And you're going to have serious pressures in the time ahead, which will bring other pressures on society as we have to uh, import workers uh, to, 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 to deal with jobs, particularly in more urban areas. So there, there are a number of tools that, that can be used. The government aren't using them. When we look at our, our alternative, we engage with all of this. We have a radically different view in terms of where the government is, but it actually fits within the parameters of the rules. Pierce Doherty, thanks for coming in today. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks to Dennis, to Pierce and to Fiek for joining us today. Thanks also to our producer Declan Conlon and our engineer JJ Vernon. Remember again that we'll be running this Ask Me Anything podcast over the Christmas period. You can mail questions to me at hlinehan at irishtimes.com or you can get me on Twitter at hlinehan. And remember, questions in audio form will be particularly welcome. Until the next time, thanks very much for listening.